Before we continue in our worship service today and as we can prepare to go into our offertory, I did want to take this time to introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, Jeremy Roten is coming today to preach God's Word to us, and so we look forward to him uh, opening God's truth, God's Word, so that we may hear it and be fed by it, be sanctified by truth today. Jeremy comes today, obviously, and as our candidate for associate pastor, Jeremy is married to his wife, Marcia, and they have six children, all of which are here with us this morning. We look forward to even our lunchtime, our lunch fellowship uh, after the service today, for you especially to get to know them a little bit more, to interact with them, and so we encourage you to stick around for that time. Jeremy has served in pastoral ministry for the past seven years uh, down in a little place called Tennessee. It's also called the Holy Land, for those of you that didn't know that. Um, he's been there for the past seven years. Prior to that, he served in other churches in Kentucky in youth ministry. Prior to that, he served for two years with the International Mission Board, he and his wife, in Mongolia as missionaries. Jeremy loves the church. He's a faithful servant and steward of the calling at which God has given him. And we look forward to hearing from him today as he comes to give God's word in just a little bit. I invite you to open the Word of God to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Today our text is chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. New Testament book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me just begin, begin by saying how thankful I am uh, for the kindness that you have shown, this church has shown already to our family over these last couple of days. It has been a joy and a pleasure getting to meet many of you. I look forward to meeting uh, others of the church today at the time of fellowship. Your hospitality to my family, to my children, my wife and I has been very warm and heartfelt and I just want to thank you for that. We're so very happy to be here with you this morning. We're excited about what the Lord is doing here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church and the possibility that we have to join the work here. I'm thankful for this opportunity to preach, to stand before you and open the word of God and to be considered for this role as associate pastor. I know that many, many prayers have gone into uh, this time, not only from this church, but also from our family. As we turn now to the word of the Lord, I would like to ask you to stand out of reverence for the reading of the word of God as we read 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, and we'll read down to verse number 16. Let us listen to the word of God Almighty. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Our Father, we humbly come before you this day seeking your spirit to be with us as we open your word. 
Father, we praise you for Jesus Christ, our substitute, our redeemer, our savior. Father, we have no other hope than Christ our Lord. And so Father, as we open your word today, we ask Lord humbly that through your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you open our eyes, would you open our ears to see and hear from you this day. It's in Christ's name we humbly ask it, amen. You may be seated. After Peter's greeting, he opened this letter to those who were scattered as Christians with praise and with much thankfulness to God. As you read through the book of 1 Peter, in the first 12 verses, you'll notice that there's not one single command in these verses because Peter is focusing and wanted these believers to see what God had accomplished for them, what God had done for them. He wanted them to realize and know how wonderful a salvation that they had received through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for their sin made sure that they knew that they were saved by the very grace of God. He wanted them to know about the inheritance that they had received through Christ that was kept in heaven for them. He focused on their love for God, the joy that they are to have even in the midst of trials and suffering. Peter wanted them to see the privilege that they were to live in a time when they could see the promises of God being fulfilled through the life, death, burial of Jesus Christ. Not one time in those verses do we see him giving a command to do something. He simply focused on how blessed children of God are in Christ. And now in verse 13 and following, Peter is going to call these believers to live a holy life based upon what God has done for them. This is how the gospel works, is it not? We do not obey to become saved. We obey because we have been saved. We do not obey to become a child of God. We obey because God in his grace and his mercy has brought us into his family. And so the Christian life is a life of response to what God has done in our hearts through the gospel of Jesus Christ to call us to himself. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, his life that he lived, his perfect life that we did not live, Christ lived for us. And how Christ came to die on the cross for our sins in our place and was raised on the third day. That is the hope that we have as sinners. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ that goes forth from his word that those who have broken God's law can find forgiveness of sins, peace with God through Jesus Christ. Even this day, if you are not trusting in Christ, that he died on the cross for you, for your sins, I pray, Ask God that he would move in your hearts that you may see and trust and savor Jesus Christ this day. 
Adoption is a beautiful picture, is it not, of what God has done for us and how we obey, how God brings us into his family and then instructs us, instructs us of how we are to live. God has begotten us, therefore we live differently. To confuse that order would be disastrous for us, wouldn't it? It would be to turn our works into righteousness, to think that God would save us because of our acts of obedience. God doesn't save us because we all of a sudden begin to live right. No, God saves us by his grace, brings us into his family, and based upon what he has done in us, we lovingly obey him. That's the structure that Peter is building upon in this book and in this first chapter. He calls upon these believers to live a holy life because of what God has done for them in Christ. God's commands are always rooted in his grace. And that's what we see happening in verse 13. We see that all important connecting word, don't we, there in verse 13, the very first word, therefore. And that's what that word is doing. It's reaching back and saying, because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, because of all of those things in the first 12 verses, therefore, and he's going to turn his attention and give us two commands in these verses, two main things that we are to do because of what Christ has done for us. Two things and two points will mimic the uh, points of the text with the, the points of command in these verses. First point is we are to set our hope on our future salvation, verse number 13. First point, set our hope on our future salvation. And secondly, we are to be holy in all our conduct. Let's begin with the first point. We're to set our hope on our future salvation. The main command of verse number 13 comes at the end. Look at it with me. It says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is commanding us to hope in this verse. It's not the first time that he's used this word for hope. Look at verse number three. Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, God has caused us and given us a living hope. We've gone as sinners from being those without hope to now those that do hope. And our hope is a living hope in what God has done. And now he calls upon us, commands us to hope. He is commanding us to look forward with confidence to our coming salvation. This hope that he speaks of here is a sure hope. It's not a, I hope it's not going to rain today sort of hope. Rather, it's a, I know what is going to happen and I am longing for it sort of hope. Peter specifies what our hope is to be in. Your hope is only as good as the object of what you are hoping in. Peter specifies our hope. He says that we're to hope on the grace that will be brought to you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In short, we could say we're to hope in our future salvation that is to come. The grace that will be brought to us as believers in Christ. That's the fulfillment of the promise of God to forgive us of our sins. You see, because the Bible is very clear, there is a day coming when Jesus Christ will be revealed. He will be shown, he will be seen visibly. This phrase, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, again, just glance back, if you will, at verse number seven. Verse number seven of chapter one, it says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That day is coming when Christ will be revealed, visibly revealed. We cannot see Christ now with our eyes, but God's word is very clear. He is returning physically, visibly. He is going to return to this earth that day is coming. And on that day when Jesus returns and is revealed, you will have grace brought to you from Christ on that day. That's our hope, our salvation, the forgiveness of sins. Even in the future, when he speaks about grace, it's grace that's given to us. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? When Christ returns, his grace will be brought to his children. You see, God is always the giver and we are always the receiver. We're to set our hope on our future salvation. So what does that mean for us? Just that we're to set our hope. Well, it means just first and foremost that we have to focus our attention and live in light of that fact, to know and realize and be conscious of the fact that Jesus is returning. We need to realize that this truth is so important, the most important truth. It means that we live in light of the reality that Jesus is returning. Knowing that as Christians, we should hope, we should long for, look forward to, not forget that Jesus is returning one day. And that when he returns for his believers, he's going to be bringing us grace and forgiveness of sins. We must be conscious of this truth. We must be aware of it. We must be awake to it, be mindful of it. Just as application here, I think you, we've just got to think about it. You, you've got to think about that fact over in your mind that Jesus is returning to this earth. We must think about his being revealed, of God's promises being fulfilled on that day and on Jesus returning, bringing his people grace and forgiveness of sins. Think about that truth. Ponder over that. Chew on that like a dog gnaws on a bone and chews on a bone and let that settle in your mind that Jesus is returning, bringing grace to his children. 
In fact, Peter gives us two examples of how we can set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First is by preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. We see that in verse number 13. Quite literally, and you might have in some of your translations, this phrase, girding up the loins of your mind. It's a strange phrase, isn't it? And I didn't know my mind had loins, but girding up the loins of your mind. Well, what he's doing here is he's using Old Testament imagery, isn't he? Because in the Old Testament, people were instructed to gird up their loins, that long robe that they wore to be tucked in a belt, allowing them to move and to be running freely and quickly. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, on the night of that 10th plague, when they were in Egypt, when the death angel came to pass over the houses with those with blood on the mantle, because Christ saw the sacrifice and he saw the blood and he passed over in his judgment. Those who were trusting in God inside eating that meal and eating it quickly and eating it with haste, they had their loins girded, tucked into their belt, ready to flee and go out of Egypt. And that's the picture used here, except it's girding up the loins of our mind. It means that we're to think clearly, to use our minds to hope in the future salvation will not become a reality in our lives without disciplined thinking. And thinking in a new way doesn't happen automatically, does it? It requires effort. It requires concentration. It requires reading and studying the Word of God and allowing God's Word to form and shape us and mold us that we might live in obedience to the Word of God. I encourage you to take opportunities available to you for this to happen here at the church, for God's Word to form you. Be a part of the Equip Sunday School classes even as the name suggests, to equip us to live out God's word and the gospel, to be a part of home groups that meet throughout the week. Students and young people, this is so important that you attend these sort of things that your mind would be shaped according to the word of God, to learn, to be instructed of how to live a gospel-shaped life in a culture that is so far diverse from God's word. As followers of Christ, each of us, it should come natural to us to talk with others about what we are learning from scripture, what we're learning in our reading, to talk with others about what we've learned or picked up on through the sermon or a class or something that we've heard that we would be shaping and preparing our minds for action, girding up the loins of your mind. You see, today the temptation is to substitute feeling for thought. It's a temptation for many of, us, many of us. Instead of thinking something through and holding it up in the light of the Bible, it says, how should I respond in this situation because of God's word? Instead, we're tempted to do what feels right. Even as Christians, we do this. This 
feels like the right thing for me to do. I just exhort you, you better look through God's word and study God's word and see what it says and live in light of God's word. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's one way that we are to set our hope on the future grace that will be brought to us. The second thing we see in this verse is he says, being sober-minded, being sober-minded. What's the opposite of being sober? You can say, I'm not asking for uh, confession. I'm just asking for uh, here. The opposite of being sober is being drunk, right? Having your faculties impaired, not being able to act normal. Well, think about this for a minute. What is the opposite of being sober-minded? What's the opposite of being sober-minded? It's not thinking about the things of God. It's drinking up the things of the world and being dull in your mind to the reality of God in this world and in your life. It's a life lived that is intoxicated by the attractions of the world. A life that is lived without thinking about the future. A life that's lived not realizing and knowing that Jesus Christ is returning one day. It's a life that's lived only concentrated and concerned on the here and the now, on earthly desires, earthly things. A life that's only lived by thinking about work, of bank accounts, of pleasures, of sports and weekends, and only thinking of those things. It's a life that focuses on sickness and health and not the reality of eternity. Brothers and sisters, we set our hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to us by thinking strongly and clearly. Thinking strongly and clearly from the word of God, not becoming dull to the reality of God and his return. So the call for us is to hope in God, think about God, think about Jesus being revealed on that day. Let us be Christians who think clearly about the reality of God, who discipline our minds by reading and studying God's word, pondering over God's word, thinking through God's word, and applying God's word to every aspect of our life. Well, that's Peter's first command that he gives here in this passage, that these elect exiles would set their hope on the future salvation that is coming through Jesus Christ. Next in verse, he speaks to us. Our second point is we're to be holy in all our conduct. We are to be holy in all our conduct. We see this in verse 14 to 16. Peter begins verse 14 with the phrase, as obedient children. It's not insignificant that Peter uses this analogy of children. Peter has taught already in these verses that we were begotten of God. He has caused us to be born again, and he has made us his children. And as his children, we are to obey our Father. We're not to be disobedient children. 
but we're to be obedient. And as obedient, we're to obey God's instructions, just as a child is to obey the instructions of their parents. In these verses, Peter is calling us to be holy in all our conduct. He gives us this command in a negative, positive format. That's how he does this. Don't do this, but do this. That's what Peter says. Look at verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Let's look at that negative positive there. First, the don't or the negative. Do not be conformed, he says, to the passions of your former ignorance. That is our ignorance before being born of God. So before you're born of God, not being, as he says here, formed by that ignorance. The sin that we lived in, the way that we thought before Christ in his grace brought us into his family. We as Christians are not to be conformed by that way of living any longer. Formerly, formerly we were ignorant ignorant of the ways of God, or at least we lived ignorantly. And as Christians, we're not to give in to those former passions we used to live by. Formerly, before coming to Christ, we were our own Lord. We did what we wanted to do. That's what that means. Our former passions. We did what we desired. If we wanted to do this, we did this. If we don't want to do that, then we didn't do it. We just did what we wanted to do, thought what was best for us. Probably didn't come to church because you probably didn't want to, right? That's usually what's behind when you're speaking with somebody, not coming to church. Well, folks just don't come to church to worship the Lord because they don't want to. There's no desire there for that before being saved. But the Bible teaches us as followers of Christ, we're not to live like that any longer. But now as Christians, when the old sinful nature calls, we're not to listen. We're not to be conformed by it. Second is the positive statement. Don't be conformed, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because God is holy, we likewise are to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart. Textually, you study that word in the Old Testament, and it means to be fully devoted to something. Fully devoted, set apart in the sense of you're fully devoted for it. So if there was a cup in the temple and it was to be a holy cup, that is, it is set apart to only be used in the worship of God in the temple. That is what it is for. It's fully devoted just to that. And we as Christians are to be set apart in that we are obedient, fully devoted to God's word. We're to be Christians who are devoted to God 
following his instruction in our life, believing how God's word tells us to believe, acting how God's word tells us to act. We're to be obedient children. God has called us to holy living, a devoted living that comes to him seeking to live in obedience. You see, as God's people, we are to resemble the God that we worship. Our God that we worship is holy. Therefore, we are also to be holy. The same logic is used in God's word in 1 John, just for example, which teaches us that God is love. Therefore, we as children of God are to be loving, to love him, to love others, to show the same love to one another that God has shown to us. The same line of reasoning here, God is holy, therefore we are to be holy. Of course, this holiness that we are to have is not a pure holiness like God's holiness. In this present life, we know that we still struggle with sin. Perfect holiness and obedience will only be achieved in the life to come. But in this life, we are to ever be becoming more and more holy, set apart, devoted, fully devoted to God. Verse 16 gives a quote from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus. Peter takes a passage that God spoke to his people in the Old Testament, and he applies it to his people in the New Testament. Look at verse number 16. It says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We as Christians are called to be different, just like Israel in the Old Testament was called to be different. To not worship like the unbelieving nations around them. To not live like unbelievers around them. God called his people in the Old Testament to live a life set apart to following him. It's the same for us in the New Testament. God has called us as followers of Jesus Christ in the new covenant through the blood of Christ on the cross to live a life that is set apart for him, fully devoted to obedience to God, living our lives as obedient children. Those are Peter's two commands that he gives based upon what God has done for us. God's word is exhorting us to be obedient, that we may commit ourselves to, as it were, girding up the loins of our mind, of thinking clearly about God's word, of studying God's word, of applying God's word. May we be a people who resemble the God that we worship. May we be a people together that resemble what God has done to us, to one another. As God has called us to be set apart, may we be a people who live as obedient 
children. Ponder and think about the fact that one day Jesus Christ is returning. One day Christ is coming back physically to this earth. We need to think about that. We need to ponder that truth. Because when you realize that fact and, 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 and you are conscious of that, it will have an effect upon you. I guarantee you, if Christ returns while we're still above the ground, above the grave, it will all be clear. When he returns, what will matter most to us is having a savior that died on the cross for our sins, who gave us peace with God. Brothers and sisters, set your hope on a Christ who is returning to give us grace, to give us forgiveness of sins. When brothers and sisters in Christ, I exhort you this day to live a life devoted to the God who has saved you. Be fully devoted to him, set apart to him. For God who saved us is holy, therefore we likewise are to be holy living in obedience to him, that in all things, Christ may be praised. His grace and his mercy may be felt. We may worship God because of what he's done for us. And we may extend that same love to one another in our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy shown to us through Jesus Christ. Our Father, thank you for saving us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done in our place. Father, help us to set our hope on your return, knowing that Christ, when he is revealed, comes to us with grace and forgiveness of sins. Lord, help us to ponder that fact. Help us to ever live in light of your return. And Father, help us to be holy, to live a life set apart to the wonderful Savior who brought us into his family. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.